Hey, welcome to Crossroad again. If you walked in late, I guess I'd be only welcome to Crossroad because you didn't hear it the first time. But welcome to Crossroad. We're glad that you're here. My name is JC. I'm the college pastor here. I realize that I get up every week and do like these little announcements or just say welcome kind of deal, but I never really say who I am. So I kind of wondered if you all are ever thinking that I win a lottery of some sort that I just get to get up here after two songs when nobody like claps or anything and go, hey, hey, welcome, glad you're here. And you all go, who is this guy? But I'm the college pastor here. I never really say that, but I'm the college pastor at Fellowship and I'm really glad you're here. Um, we're talking tonight about just the gospel. And what is the gospel? And I would even like for you just to take a second when I say, what is the gospel? Because it's something that I've been kind of rolling around in my head for a couple of weeks now. I'm just kind of going, what is the gospel? I mean, I don't know how often you get a chance to like speak in front of people, but when somebody just says, hey, I just want you to talk about the gospel. At first, it's kind of like a, well, that's not a problem at all because the gospel is like key to my life. But then when you start to go, so really, what's the gospel? I mean, you got a chance to share what the gospel is. You got to kind of got to go, I, I don't know. So I just really, I really want you to take some time and just kind of go, what is the gospel? I don't want, this is rhetorical. I don't want somebody to, I feel like if we were at a big conference right now, I don't know, what's the gospel? Somebody up in the balcony would do the, Jesus! And everybody would be like, amen! And we'd all get hyped up and we'd be like, yes, Jesus is the gospel. But I'm serious. I want you to like really think about it. Don't do the conference cheer thing where we all go, yeah. What is the gospel? If someone were to ask you, hey, so what's this gospel? What would you say? How would you respond to somebody if they were to say, so what is this gospel to you? I've been thinking about it a lot. Like I said, what is the gospel? And if you've been with us the last couple of weeks, really the last couple of months, Greg has just unloaded a barrel of information on us, or at least on me. You may be going, no, he didn't unload. He unloaded a barrel on me. And we've called this series, if you'd missed any of it, I would really recommend you get on iTunes or you get on our website and you just kind of let that marinate over you. But we've been doing this series called Jesus, the true and better dot, dot, dot. And what we talked about, what Greg talked about for months was that anything that you look at, Jesus Christ is better than. If you, you can look at like landmarks in the Old Testament, you can look at people in the Old Testament, and anything that you come across, Jesus Christ is better than that thing. And some of those things were big deals. I mean, they weren't like little things that you're going, well, that's kind of cool. I never would have seen that. Like we went to like Moses, we went to Abraham, like we went to big deals of the Bible and Greg through scripture was able to, was able to still tell us Jesus Christ is better than that. Not only is he better than that, actually all that person was, was a mirror pointing us back to Jesus. And so we we just spent a semester and then some saying that Jesus Christ is better than every other option. There is nothing better than Jesus Christ. He's it. If there's the ultimate thing of the universe, scripture tells us Jesus Christ is it. He is ultimate. He's better than anything you want. And I thought it'd be really cool if like we kept going and just, we started getting really personal with you all and started going, Jesus Christ is the true and better boyfriend. Because it's easy sometimes coming in here and go, he's the true and better temple and go, Aiden, oh, goodness. But when you start going, he's better than your boyfriend, we kind of go, yeah. And nobody would stand up and go, no, come. But deep down inside, we kind of go, he's better than having a boyfriend. Jesus is better than having a boyfriend. Don't you kind of go, well, uh, Jesus is better than your spring break plans. 
And we start making that really just personal for us. But we still find, no matter where you go, no matter what you dive into, that Jesus Christ is better than that thing. There is nothing that you're going to bring to the table that we go, well, actually, hold on a second. That's pretty amazing. Because Jesus Christ, if you are a Christian, we believe that there is nothing better than Jesus Christ. He is it. He's a better Savior. He's a better healer. He's a better Redeemer. He's a better person that stands up for you before God. He's better than every other thing in the Bible. That's a big stinking deal. So as I've been thinking about what is the gospel, what do we talk about the gospel? I've been thinking a lot about this. Jesus is true and better than everything. I mean, he's beautiful. He's a Savior. He's majestic. He is one with God before all time. He's amazing. Jesus Christ. Christ is. He's true and better. Jesus Christ is. I am not. Like, that's the only words I can tell you. Like, I can't compare it. Jesus Christ is true and better. I'm small. I'm really insignificant. I'm lame. I'm boring. I'm dull. I'm not better than much, if anything, actually. I'm really bad. And Jesus Christ is true and better than it. So for me, as I started to think about it, here's what I think the gospel is. I think the gospel is where a true and better Jesus and my bad, wrecked, jacked up life start to intersect. Because there's something in us, when we start to hear that Jesus is true and better than everything, just a real quick glimpse at our life. Even if you're not buying into the whole Jesus thing, you just take a look at your own life, your own set of standards, and you start to see real quickly that you haven't added up to things. So how is it that if there is this Jesus who's better than everything and I'm me, the gospel for me the last couple of weeks as I've thought about it is where this amazing, beautiful, saving, redeeming God and my really small, insignificant, broken down life start to intersect. That is the gospel, that there are people like me and you who are really messing the deal up and there's this amazing Jesus and somehow we can have this relationship. It is the gospel. I grew up Baptist. I went to a Baptist school, so I can say this, and I don't even think it's a Baptist deal, so I'm probably knocking Baptist just because I grew up. You know, I don't know why that's a rule that if you are something, you can make fun of it. Like, I can make fun of myself, but if you come up here afterwards, like right now, I could say something completely ridiculous about myself, and you'd be like, oh, I can't believe you said that about yourself. But if you came up here afterwards and said that same ridiculous thing, I'd be like, you are a jerk, because there's just something that you can make fun of something that is your own. So that's what I'm doing. So just forgive me for this. But I grew up, and here was something that I always saw growing up. And I don't, again, I don't think it's actually this particular church or anything, but I'm pretty sure that you saw it as well. We have these diagrams of what the gospel is. I remember sitting in my senior pastor's office in these big fat daddy chairs because for some reason senior pastors feel the need to sit in big fat daddy chairs. Even if you go to some churches, like they got the nicest furniture in town right up there and I'm sitting on a wooden pew and I'm like, how do I get that job? Because he's all comfy and I'm sitting here going, this is awful and I got a pencil that's that big. What can I do with that? <laughs> but I remember sitting in his office with this little deal. And here's what the deal is in the church that I grew up in. They showed me a picture of G or God over here. I wish there was a big like wall that you could see. If that ever happened, wouldn't that be wall, please? But anyway, there's God over here. Then there's humanity over here. Then there's a little ravine. And we're all standing there as little cartoon characters going, oh, God, how do I possibly get to you? Because this ravine is deep and wide. 
Let's sing a song right now, deep and wide, not talking about the same thing, but let's say that there's this big ravine. How do I possibly get to God? And we're standing there, and then the little book, it's like a little flip book, you know, that's like a cartoon that goes, and the first page is like, your works, and you try to build a bridge across this little ravine, and all of a sudden the works bridge went, and falls in, and you're like, oh, I can't get to God through my works. And then there's something else like being a good person, and then all of a sudden that bridge, it's a little bit stronger, and you get a little bit farther, but then, and you fall into the ravine. It's like, really, if you think about it, showing this to a kid, it's like, and they're going, oh, and like, it's really a kind of amazing thing. But here's my problem with the deal, because if you, as, when you get to the end of the little flip book and it colors itself by the time you get to the end and there's fireworks, by the end, like this big, beautiful cross starts coming down and fills in the little ravine. And here comes me as a little cartoon character, which is an awesome idea. I think I would be a good cartoon. Somebody please make that. I start walking across the cross because it's filled in the ravine and I go, hey, now I'm on God's team. The problem with the cartoon is in my sin, I've never stood on the edge of the ravine going, God, how do I get to you? I want to make up the cartoon book where there's this big fat ravine. And first off, the ravine's always like, yay big. And you're going, I could almost like be the bridge myself if I was not five foot two, but if I was a little bit taller, I could be the ravine and everybody could use me. I want the ravine one day to be like pages apart. Like God's on one thing and you just turn, 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 turn. Is there, are we ever going to turn, turn? This is a big stinking gap. And then you find yourself over there as this little cartoon character going, help me bridge, like I need a bridge. But what I want is a big fat ravine. And then on top of the ravine, I don't want to be standing on the edge of the ravine going, God, I can't seem to get to you. I want to picture myself hauling tail that way. Because that's my story. My story's not that I stand at the edge of the ravine going, God, how do I get to you? My story is that the sin that's deep inside of me, and I believe scripture says is deep inside each and every one of us, doesn't say that we stand at the edge going, God, we can't find our way to you. My story is I'm running as hard as I can in that direction. I don't want anything to do with Jesus true and better. I want to do things my way and I'm doing my best to get away from him. The gospel is not that we stand at the edge of a ravine going, please help me, Jesus. The gospel is that we're booking it. That way, we're not even checking back to see if he's coming after us. And in the middle of us running, this cross stops us from running from Jesus and says, now you're mine. There is no ravine that you and I try to figure out how to get across. Jesus, the cross, stops us in the midst of our sin and says, you are mine now. And we're going, holy cow. And some of you may go, well, no, actually, I was a seeker and I had questions. But scripture would say that the sin in your heart completely blinded you to who God was. And the cross, even in your seeking, it was God calling you back to himself. The gospel is when this beautiful Jesus, not because he needs to, not because he's wanting, but because he is just that amazing. He takes people who are running hard. And as they're running, they're trying to take his glory for themselves. And he stops us with a cross. And he says, I'm going to take somebody who's running, and they're running hard, and I'm going to make you about me. That's the gospel to me. If you have your Bible, you can open up to 1 John, because I want us to talk a little bit about what the gospel is. The gospel takes people like you and me who are running so hard from Jesus. The sin in our hearts that has so turned us away from Jesus. And we all would probably have that story. If you're in here tonight and you're a Christian, you probably have a story 
of when you could share at the camp or just in, during your Bible study or at, when you were a little kid with your parents and you prayed this prayer and then all of a sudden you knew the gap had been filled in in your relationship between you and God and all of a sudden you were on the same team and all of a sudden you knew in that moment God and I are on the same team. And so I want us to look at 1 John uh, chapter 4 if you're there because here's what's amazing about the cross. The cross to me, because a lot of times we pump up the cross and that's a it's a great thing to do. I mean, you can't pump up the cross enough. But the cross of Christ does not make Jesus more valuable. The cross doesn't make Jesus more valuable. The cross simply makes Jesus accessible to us. There is nothing that can make Jesus of more worth. From all time, he has been amazingly worthy. He's more, he is the thing of the universe. So the cross didn't make Jesus more amazing more praiseworthy, the cross simply made the most praiseworthy thing of the universe accessible to you and I. And we're really good at talking about that. We're really good about talking about eternity. You were once damned. You were once going to hell. You were on the highway to hell. And all of a sudden that cross stepped into it and now you're going to heaven. Your address went from burning lane to streets of gold, whatever. You went from being really bad to son of God, son of, daughter of God. All of a sudden we're going, yes, man, that's my new identity. That's who I am in Christ. I am saved. I'm going to heaven. Y'all should check it out. It's going to be a party. It's going to be great. And we love that part of the story. We're with God. We're saved. But here's what I want us to talk about tonight is how does that affect us now? How does this gospel of this beautiful Jesus intersecting our life affect us now? First John chapter four. This is a verse that honestly I read and I went, I, I don't think I've thought about that a whole lot. And so I hope as we look at it tonight, you'll just kind of let this sink on you because some of the scripture around it, you're gonna be like, oh, I love this scripture and I have this scripture memorized. And this is one of the verses that we got in GAs and I just still love it to this day. But 1 John chapter four, and it says this, God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. Verse 17, in this way, love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. Because in this world, we are like him. This is the verse I really want us to look at, verse 17, where it says, in this way, love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. Because in this world, we are like him. I love this word that says confidence. The Greek word there, if you translate it literally, is confidence. Like it's saying, that's what it all it means. It means that you're gonna be really confident when you stand before God. And it's amazing, the verse, I was reading over it this morning and it, actually like kind of shook me a little bit because I was going, that's unbelievable that that can be my story. That the story that my story can now be in eternity on the day of judgment, I can stand with confidence. And there's nothing in me that would, before this beautiful, true and better Jesus should be able to stand before him and go, yeah, I'm pretty confident being here right now. The scripture you would think would read, on the day of judgment, we're all going to be shaking in our boots. And there is scripture that talks about when you see Jesus, you're not going to be going, homeboy, pound that boy, and like slapping and doing your little thing that you learn. And you're like, I bet you know, that, you know everything. So of course you're going to know this one. Let's show everybody. No, there's going to be times where you're going, <laughs> he's amazing. Just read Revelation when John sees Jesus. They were tight. They did love each other. But John doesn't go, there he is, everybody. Check him out. John goes, holy cow and he drops there should be times when you think about Jesus coming that you do drop there should be times in your life when you think about Christ you're not going rock and roll my homeboy but you go whoa he's amazing 
But it says right here, that same God that at times we should be amazingly inspired and in awe of, on the day of judgment, we're going to stand in confidence. Not because of anything we've done, but because of the gospel. We'll be able to stand confidently before this God going, I can stand here confidently. And you should think that people around you are going to be going, dude, why are you so confident around that guy? And you go, because I'm bringing nothing to the table. The reason I'm confident is because I'm covered in who Christ is. Jesus Christ, he's about to come and stand here with me. He's on me. He's covering me. That's why I'm confident. Why? Because of Jesus Christ and him crucified. I got no worries, man. He's big. He's the deal. And he's going to speak for me. Why? Because what did you do? I did nothing, man. I did absolutely nothing. But it says in Ephesians, before the creation of the world, he called me. He made me holy and blameless. It's like rock and roll. Like That's why I'm confident. Why? Because of who he is. Not because of what I've done, but because of who Jesus is, I'm confident that me and God, we're on okay terms. Did you ever like do anything? Like, I've, How many mission trips did you go on? It does not matter. All of those things, all of my works, they were him too. But I mean, you were probably a part of a church, didn't you? Did you play in the band? You must have played in the band because you were confident. No, I didn't play in the band. I can't even sing. I don't even do jazz. I can't do anything. I've only got Jesus. You're confident in Jesus? Imagine that, that we would say, yeah, my confidence is not in my gifting. My confidence is not in my ability. My confidence is not in what I've done or who I know. My confidence is in Jesus Christ. Can you imagine how that would change us? Not only in eternity, but how it would change us tomorrow. When you're walking to class and you see that person that you're so intimidated by, when you're walking to class tomorrow and you see that group of people that you so desperately want to be accepted by, when you get that call from your mom and you're praying that the divorce hasn't been finalized and she says it's finalized, when you get the call from your grandparents, it's cancer. When you get the call that they're breaking up, Can you imagine if you go, but I'm confident in who Jesus Christ is. The gospel becomes much more than eternity and the gospel begins to shape and alter our lives because we go, I'm confident in Jesus. They may not accept me, but I'm confident that Christ has. They may mock me, but I'm confident that Christ told me that was gonna happen and he's still here with me. Cancer may ravage their body, but Christ, I'm confident, has conquered the grave. The confidence that we have in Christ begins to affect us much more. And if you'll keep looking, it says this, there is no fear in love, verse 18. But perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. Verse 18, one more time, there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. Because fear has to do with punishment. I think one of the areas of my life where I most need to let the gospel take hold of me is my fear. Way too often I am motivated not by the gospel. I'm motivated by fear. I'm motivated by fear that people may not accept me. I'm motivated by fear even before I get here that what if they don't like what I say? 
I'm motivated by fear that maybe it's never going to happen the way I wanted it to happen. Maybe I'm never going to make the money that I think I want to make. Maybe I'm never going to get the date that I want to get. Maybe she's never going to say yes. Maybe she's never going to say no. Maybe they are going to get the divorce. And we could just go on and on and on. Maybe my marriage is going to be just like my parents. Maybe I'm never going to be able to have kids. Maybe, and we, and I'll just be honest, one of the greatest areas that I need to let the gospel affect me is that I live way too often in fear. But right here it says there is no fear in love. And we're great as Christians. We're really good about the confidence in eternity. I mean, most of us have got that down. We're all about heaven. But my question for us is, has the gospel started to affect our fear in day-to-day life? Because it says here, there is no fear. It's not, there's not eternal fear. It says there is no fear in love. And I was thinking about it, and this is probably like one of the most ridiculous analogies you're ever gonna hear at a church, but please just flatter me and let me tell it because this is what I thought of as I was reading through this. I thought about it like this. Like, I don't understand haunted houses at all. Like, I don't understand why you think it's a good idea to go to a place that's telling you up front there are goblins. Well, people dressed as goblins. If you ever find a haunted house that has goblins, run. But like, you know, they're telling you there's gonna be people in here and they're gonna scare you. The other thing that's new and improved apparently is forget the house. We got a corn maze that's got people with chainsaws in it. It's like, yeah, I was thinking that that'd be an awesome, what are you saying? And we actually have two sides to this corn maze. There's one here in town, the haunted side and the not haunted side. I'm not lying. All I've ever done in this corn maze is the unhaunted side, but I can hear people screaming and I get scared. So like, I don't understand haunted houses at all. But here's what I do know about haunted houses. I've been to a couple of them and most of them, if not, again, don't tell me about this haunted house because I will get very scared tonight. But most of them have this rule. They'll even tell you this on the wall or they'll tell you this walking in. The people cannot touch you. The people will not touch you. That's what they kind of tell you, right? Because if they could actually touch you, it would be like crazy. So like they tell you that, right? The people can't touch you. So you're walking through this house where you know you're going to get to the other side. Like the people are not gonna hurt you. But you're walking through the haunted house and all of a sudden Freddy Cougar jumps out and he's like, Waka! and you go, wow, and you start screaming, right? And you're going, oh my gosh, and you take off running. But you know that Joker's not going to do anything. Another guy's dressed like the Joker. He jumps out then and you're going, what the heck? And so you're going, come on, boyfriend, hopefully, or girlfriend, hopefully like you're bigger and stronger than me. And you're all freaked out, right? But you know, you know that they can't touch you, but you're freaked out. Let me ask you, if you know that they can't touch you, but you're still freaking out, isn't it a little bit like you, here's the only option is this, you don't believe the person at the front that goes, hey, I'm just letting you know they can't actually touch you. There's no way that you could tell me, no, I just, I I got freaked out. Well, I don't know. But here's my story with God. God tells me my love, me being true and better than everything else, it casts out the fear of acceptance. It casts out the fear that you may not account, you may not add up to much. I cast out all fear. But if I'm in my haunted house of life, I'm walking through the joint and things jump out at me and I'm kicking them in the shin. I'm punching them in the throat because those jokers are scaring me. I'm living in fear much of my life. I live out of fear, not out of the gospel. And God's told me at the beginning, JC, I promise you one thing. You can stand confidently in who I am. You can stand confidently in who I've made you to be. One of my greatest fears is that I may not be enough. And I act out of that a lot. But the gospel tells me you can be confident in who Jesus has made you to be. You can be confident 
in who Christ has made you. We act out of fear instead of out of the gospel. The gospel says there is no fear in love. You have nothing to fear. If you have your Bible, flip over real quickly to Romans. Because way too often we live this way when the gospel wants to be what changes our lives instead of the fear that changes our life. Paul, again, this is Paul for the first time tonight, but this is what he says. Again, really familiar verses. But I want us to hear this because this is, I think, what the gospel tells us. The gospel tells us, yes, you've got eternity secure, but your life can also be different because of this. There is no fear. Why would we act out of fear? Romans 8, verse 31, it says, What then shall we say in response to this? Him talking about that God has chosen those from the beginning of the time. He's saying God's already done it. God's doing an amazing thing in the people that he has chosen from the beginning of the world. For those he justified, it says. And then it says, so then what shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? Who didn't, he who did not spare his own son but gave him, gave him up for us all. How will, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those who God has chosen? Who will bring any charge against those who God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is it that he condemns? Christ Jesus who died. More than that, who was raised to life. So, I mean, he's giving the gospel right now. He's going, it was Jesus who died. It was Jesus who raised to life. And, it, and is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. So we're living out of fear instead of living out of the gospel telling us who we are. We're living out of fear. We're making all of our decisions based on what are other people thinking? What is my future going to be like? We make all of our decisions based on those things. And the gospel saying, you need to be making your decisions based on the gospel and who God says you are. Because not only was God crucified, not only was Jesus buried, Jesus resurrected. Now he's sitting at the right hand of God, thank you very much. And it's says he's interceding for you and we're going man I just don't know if she's ever going to like me and I'm not sure if this is ever going to work out and I'm not sure if they're ever going to call about the internship and we get all freaked out and Jesus is going I'm crazy about you I'm sitting at the right hand of the father I'm interceding for you who then shall separate us from the love of Christ shall trouble shall hardship shall persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword as it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all of these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither present nor future, nor any power, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing will be able to separate us from the, love of Christ, from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Because some of you may be going, man, that was a cool little illustration about the haunted house deal, and you're talking about, you know, punching things in the throat. But like, the things I'm f- scared of is, I mean, I, I've been abused. I mean, I got really a messed up family. And Paul would say, there is nothing that can separate you, though, from the love of God. You can live in that. It's not saying that you can live fear-free. It's just saying the fear that captivates us. He's saying the gospel can set you free from that. Start living in the gospel. Don't live in fear. I like to think about, if you were to continue the analogy, that Jesus Christ, he came and even says, you're going to be the light of the world. You know, if you were to ever walk through a haunted house with a light 
it would be the most dumb thing you've ever seen. Because you'd be walking through there and if you were just able to go in each room and be like, hey, where's the light switch? And flip on the light and you saw a guy over there, he's probably like listening to his iPod. He's not even thinking about you. And you see him over there and he's just waiting for like his little thing to get tripped so he knows to, oh, hey, scary guy. Can you imagine if the lights were on, you'd be going, hey man, oh, here he comes. That guy, that's a good costume. Where'd you get that one? Where'd you, oh, really? That's cool. Hey buddy, hey, I see you coming out. Oh, scary man, chainsaw with a plastic thing over the tip of it. Wouldn't the light, if it exposed all those things, you'd go, these aren't really scary at all. They're kind of silly. And I'm not saying that abuse, and I'm not saying that a terrible childhood are things to go, oh, this is funny. But in light of who Jesus Christ is, and in light of the cross of Christ, we can say there's nothing this world can throw at us that can change what the gospel has done to me. There's nothing this world can throw at us relationally, emotionally, nothing that can be thrown at us that we say that supersedes the love of Christ. That supersedes what God has done on the cross for us. It is the gospel. I'm, well, yeah, go ahead and turn there to 1 Corinthians. It says this in 1 Corinthians. This is a verse that um, I, I'm not really into the tattoo thing. I know some people here, you got like sleeves and you got inked and all that kind of jazz. And I think that's fine for you. Uh, I'm not going to say what I was about to say, but yeah, I'm all fine with that. If I was ever going to get a tattoo, I might get this, which I don't know where I'd get it, probably on the back of my uh, neck, because I think that'd be bad. And I look like that kind of guy that would have a tattoo on the back of my neck. Um, I did get one of those like uh, fake ones one time when I was a freshman in college. I was going to Sanford, which is like the most like un- tattoo place in America and I was at Sanford and I got a spider and I put it right there and like people didn't even for a second go oh dude you get a tattoo they were like <laughs> and they like laughed at me and I was like no I got a spider tattoo and they're like okay prep you know they're like I was like no seriously okay you're right and I scratched it off but uh, here's what I might actually get tattooed on my body because this is amazing for us to really live in this is the gospel he's talking about the resurrection Paul is first Corinthians 15 This is really probably one of the first accounts that really goes through the resurrection of Christ. I'd really recommend that you read it later. But he says this in 1 Corinthians 15. Um, He's talking about how Christ died. He was raised and then he showed up and he showed himself to all the apostles. And he even went and showed himself to Peter and all that. And then it says, for I'm the least of the apostles. And then verse 10 it says, but by the grace of God I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. And you're going, dude, that'd be a huge tattoo. The only part that I would really get is this. At the very beginning, it says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. I think it would be so awesome for my life, for my mantra in life to be, I am what I am because of the grace of Christ. I am who I am because of grace. I am who I am because of what Jesus Christ did for me. Who are you? The first thing we always, that's the first thing we always ask each other. So who are you? What do you do? What are you into? And we start listing off all these things. What if we started saying, and I mean, it's almost impossible to do this without being like the cheesy Christian guy that everybody wants to punch in the throat as well. But it's like, so who are you? I am who I am because of Christ. Wouldn't it be amazing though, if that's really the way that we started to live. If we really started to live lives that said, I am who I am because of the cross. I am who I am because of grace. 
I am who I am only because of the blood of Jesus. He's the one who makes me who I am. Wouldn't that set you free from some of your fears? The fear of acceptance, like I've said. The fear of, is there ever going to be anybody for me? All the fears of, I can't do that. I'm never going to be able to pull that off. I'm not going to add up. When you start to really buy into the cross, it completely changes you to say, you know what? I may not be accepted, but I am who I am because of grace. I am who I am because of God. Jesus Christ is now who I am. It sets us free from fear. Perfect love casts it out. Jesus Christ is the perfect love. It says that we know love because Jesus Christ first loved us. My prayer for you, students, adults, whoever's here, is that we, I and you, would start to live out of the gospel, not living out of fear. We would start living out of who God is and what he's done. Not living out of fear of what could be or what might be, but instead living out of Jesus Christ and what has been done. It would be amazing if even next week, next week in the spring break for many of you is going to be the test of do we really think Jesus is true and better? Are we going to live lives that really show the world there's this Jesus and he's better than anything Cabo or PCB or Gatlinburg has to offer? Gatlinburg was the obvious one. Obviously, Jesus is better than all that. But I, am, but I really do think next week, and I'm, it's just a challenge to us. Are we going to live lives that show people Jesus is better than everything? He has captured me. And I might look silly for a week, and I might be rejected by my friends for this season, but Jesus Christ, he's better than acceptance from some friends. Jesus Christ, he's worth more than sleeping with that person again. Jesus Christ, he's worth more than doing that one more time. Jesus Christ, he's made me who I am. I'm not going to be known as that guy anymore. I'm going to be known as Jesus Christ and him crucified because he's, he's made me who I am. The cross speaks over us that Jesus Christ is crazy about us. It stepped into time and told us we matter. We matter to the God of the universe and that can set us free. Jesus, my prayer tonight is that your cross would be what sets us free. My prayer tonight is that we would know that you have done everything and we have done nothing. Jesus, I, I'm thinking right now of the line that says, when a king chooses to die for his kingdom, it tells us much more about the king than it tells us about the kingdom. Jesus, I pray that right now we would not leave here going, man, we're something of worth, but instead we'd go, what an amazing God we serve. That you would step into time and you would save a bunch of people who are running so hard from you. Jesus, I pray that we would have lives that are summed up in the gospel. That we would not live out of fear. We would live out of faith in who you are and what you've done. We love you so much for the cross. We love you so much for who you are. God, I pray for the grace to live lives that mirror that. Thank you for the love. Thank you for the love that comes through your cross and through your blood. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.